Welcome to the podcast for Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our city campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation and our world. To uh, celebrate as we head into Easter and lost to celebrate uh, this weekend as a church family right across our city, all our campuses gathering, uh, youth camp up at Mapleton and uh, from all I've heard so far, you know, God is moving and I'm looking forward to hearing the testimonies in our baptistry of uh, God just spoke to me at youth camp. I just, uh, I understood for the first time the grace and the, uh, the, the salvation that Jesus offers me. I know we're going to hear those testimonies. So please keep praying uh, for our young people. And a big celebration here uh, for our city campus in particular on, uh, on Friday. Jono and Liz, much loved members of our city campus here and uh, lead our 5pm uh, service here in the city, welcomed Roman Emmanuel White into their family. Uh, they're doing... Both mum and uh, son and dad, I'm sure too, uh, are doing uh, really well. Great, uh, great celebration of just God's faithfulness uh, to them. Very good. All right, uh, I'm going to start right at the start in this King Jesus uh, series this morning. Not right back at the garden, although Jesus was the king back in the Garden of Eden. He was the one who threw uh, stars into space. But uh, at the beginning of when this king actually put on flesh to actually come and redeem fallen humanity who'd put ourselves on the throne and made a mess of this world. And, and, and God's plan was always that his son would come the divine king, would become the human king. So uh, Matthew chapter 2, if you've got a Bible there, open it with me. It says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, just note there's another king in this story, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who's been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, these are all the experts in the Bible, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod killed the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down. And they worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Now some of you right now, you're feeling so festive. You want to go home and put the tree back up and uh, start singing carols. Come on, who's, who's here? Who loves? Uh, there's a couple of you, me too. I uh, love Christmas. I've still got some Christmas lights up in our backyard and I know it is now uh, April. 
I hate to burst your bubble, but this is actually two years after the birth of Jesus. You know, when, when this happens, Jesus is no longer in the stable. There's no shepherds washing their socks by night. There's no six geese are laying or partridges in a pear tree. You know, this is actually two years after the birth of Jesus. There was no wise men and camels in the stable. Although I'm pretty sure by December there will be again because it just makes the story so much better. This is actually a couple of years after the birth of Christ. And these magi are very wealthy. They're they're very well read. They're very intelligent, very educated uh, men from Persia. And they've actually found in their records, in their scrolls, when Daniel prophesied in in Persia 700 and something years earlier uh, about a coming king who would actually come and be Messiah uh, to the people of Israel. But he would be more than a Messiah. He would be a king that would establish a kingdom that would never end. And there was some signs pointing towards when this king would come. You know, six or seven centuries later, these very intelligent students, these very, you know, well-read men found these promises in the scripture and they travel 1,500 kilometres, you know, probably six months to to get to Jerusalem and and they they know that Jerusalem is the centre of uh, political and... And, uh, and religious power, you know, for the people of Israel. And they presume this is the place to turn up. And they say, you know, where is this one that is to be born, King of the Jews? Your, your king, you know, has come. Where is he to be born? And Herod, you know, who's, who's, who's king, you know, over the region at the time, he calls together all the biblical experts, all the theologians, And they find in the book of Micah the prophecy of where this king was to be born. And it says in Bethlehem. And so off they trot. They jump back on their camels and they trot over to to Bethlehem and they see the star. And uh, they, they go into the house and it says they are overjoyed. They are overjoyed. They're so overjoyed. They just bow down in worship. They're so overjoyed they can't help but worship. You know, I had a, um, a mate named Tim when I was growing up who was best man at my wedding and uh, not long after that his, his girlfriend had been over in the UK for 12 months and she was coming home and uh, we had dinner the night before he was coming home and, and he said, I can't wait to see her but I've, I've, I've given myself at least three months before I propose. You know, we just got to kind of, you know, get uh, back into a normal relationship from this long distance relationship. Anyway, the next night, I get a phone call. I'm sitting on the lounge and it's Tim and he says, I'm engaged. <laughs> uh, I said, mate, you said to me just, you know, two nights ago that uh, you, you, you're going to wait three months. He says, I oh, know, I couldn't help it. He says, I saw her, I realised how much I loved her and I proposed that day. I just couldn't help it. I actually think that's what's happening for these very intelligent, very wealthy you know, very well-read men, as they come into this house where, where Jesus is, they can't help but just bow down. This, this is not just cerebral for them. 
This is actually emotional. They express their worship to the king. This is actually a story of two kings. You know, there's, there's a king that does have worldly wealth and power, but he's extremely threatened by this two-year-old king. You've got to remember, at this point, as these men come in and bow down, they're bowing down to a two-year-old. And this, this worldly king with all his wealth and power is so threatened that he, he, he doesn't want to worship him. He wants to wipe him out. He, he says, let me know, you know where he is so I too may come and worship him. And Christmas wasn't that long ago. We know already that's a lie. He, he wants to, to, to wipe him out. And he eventually wipes out all of the two-year-olds in the area just to make sure that Jesus gets wiped out. Story of two kings. This is other king. He's two years old. And as these men come into the room to worship him, you know, they give him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. It's not normal to bow down to a two-year-old and to give gifts like this. I've got a two-year-old granddaughter that I love and she is the centre of attention and affection when she comes into our house, but I've never bowed down to worship her. And these aren't normal gifts to give to a two-year-old. Two-year-olds have cool gifts like train sets and, and doll's houses. And they don't give, you know, very extravagant gifts. You know, this is a gift that my two-year-old granddaughter gave me. That's a drawing of Dumpar. That's me. That's what she calls me. It's as good as she can get out of her mouth as a two-year-old Dumpar. And apparently that's a drawing of Dumpar to put on uh, my wall. There's another gift that keeps on giving. See, under these manly cowboy boots here that I've got on, on stage, this is what my toes actually look like. Uh, she, she found some nail polish and decided that it was everybody needed some nail polish on their toes. It's the gift that keeps on giving. Because when I take these boots off and I put thongs on and I go to the shops, I forget until I get there and I'm walking around Woolies with toes like that. These are the kind of gifts that the two-year-olds give. This is really important. These wise men did not come to worship because of the great gifts that King Jesus had given them. They came to worship because they recognised that this king was the gift from heaven. And so our worship today does not hinge on the number of good gifts that the king has given us during the week. Our worship hinges on the fact that we've been given a gift from heaven for all of eternity that will never wear out, it'll never get old. Our worship is not dependent on what God gives us on any given week when we come here on a Sunday. Our worship is dependent on an eternal gift that's already been given and will never be taken away. You see, this series, King Jesus, it's just all about giving glory to King Jesus because one of the things I believe God is wanting to do right across our church is to draw us and to give us a new joy in praise, a new surrender in worship, a new freedom, a freedom to let go of the past, a freedom to let go of disappointment 
and, and to live our whole lives surrendered and bowed down in worship. You know, they, these gifts that the wise men give, they actually point to the fact that Jesus is not like any other king. You know, there's a, there's a gift of gold which points to the fact that Jesus is a king. That's what kings did back then. They, they took gold out of their treasuries to honour other kings when they went uh, to visit them. It was, it was a gift for a king. But there was all, also a gift of, uh, of myrrh. And this didn't point to Jesus' royalty. This pointed to Jesus' humanity. You know, myrrh was a gift, it was a burial spice. It was, to, it was to bury human bodies and to stop them from smelling and decomposing quickly. And so they're pointing to the fact that, uh, that Jesus will die. He's, he's human. He has a human body. And then there is a gift of frankincense, which still today and back then, incense was a gift for gods. So it was pointing to Jesus' divinity. Still today, all over the world, you'll go to places and there's shrines to different gods and they'll be burning incense. And it was true in the temple, you know, uh, for the people of Israel in, in the way that they worshipped. They would burn incense to worship the one true God. And so the, these gifts are pointing to the fact that Jesus is royalty, he's king. Jesus' humanity, he's going to die. And Jesus' divinity, that he's actually God. You see, there's lots of, lots of gods and lots of kings, sorry, and particularly in Daniel's time in, uh, in, when they were in exile, there was lots of gods and it's been true throughout history that would build statues of themselves for people to bow down and worship as gods. That's not unusual for a king to claim to be divine. But what we see here in this story is that Jesus perfectly fulfilled the promises from seven centuries ago. But it's not the only prophecy and it's not the only promise. As you read throughout the Old Testament, over 300 prophecies about this king that would be born, how he would live and how he would die and how he would rise again, all fulfilled in one person. No human can actually organise all of that. Only God could have brought that together across cultures, across centuries, bringing together every single prophetic promise in one person named Jesus. See, Jesus is not like any other ordinary king. He is divine. But King Jesus came to earth, became human. And it wasn't a last minute decision when sin messed up the world. It was always God's plan throughout all of history that at an appointed time that the divine king would leave his throne in heaven and come to earth. You see, Jesus is a divine king, but he became a human king. Let me just read from Philippians chapter, chapter 2. It says this, he being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage or something to be held on to, something to be grasped. But rather he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. The divine king became a human king and he identifies with us, he empathises with us. You know, he went through every suffering known to mankind. 
He understands what we go through. If you read the next chapter of Matthew, you see that he was forced to flee as a refugee to Egypt. Their family was living in an unknown place where they didn't know anybody. As he grew up, we see in the rest of the Gospels that he was constantly misunderstood, misrepresented. He was abandoned. He was abused. And eventually he was put to death on a cross after an unjust trial. Jesus understands what it's like to go through disappointment and suffering and injustice, but it's actually in his death that he most identifies with us. You see, it's because the divine king became a human king that he could take our place on the cross. It's the death that we deserved. And through his death, you know, we have the opportunity to come back into relationship with God. There is no other king like Jesus. He's a divine king, but he became a human king and became obedient to death on a cross. But this is the important bit. Jesus, divine king, Jesus became a human king, but Jesus will always, for all eternity, be the king. Because the rest of that verse in uh, that passage in Philippians says uh, this. I've lost it again. It says this, therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that's above every name, that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus didn't stay dead. He defeated humankind's greatest enemy. He defeated death. He went through death, came out the other side and so God exalted him to the highest place. He, he put him above every other power, every other authority. There will be a day. When Jesus comes again as king, every single knee will bow. He will judge the living and the dead and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, is the king. The question is, do you want to do it now and live under his kingship and under his blessing or do you want to wait till it's too late? Now Herod was so threatened, so much pride, and so much fear, he chose not to worship. And I'm not saying any of us have got the same, we're kind of threatened in the same way as King Herod, but it can be our story. Pride and fear can get in the way of total surrender to King Jesus. Worried about what others will think of us, fear of what would really happen if we let go of the things that we're grasping onto. Pride and fear can stop us from worshipping. These wise, intelligent, well-read men came into the room and as I said before, this was not just cerebral. This, this worship was, was not just an acknowledgement of what was right and true. They bowed down. They were overjoyed. This was emotional. This was expressive. So as I finish this morning, I just want to finish with some ways in Scripture, very practically. Jesus is worthy of all glory and honour and praise. I want to finish really practically with how we're told to express our worship throughout Scripture. What it looks like, because wise people still worship the King. What it looks like to actually to worship the King, not just with head knowledge and assent from our mouth, but to express our worship here in this room and with all of our lives. Firstly, 
clapping. This is going to get really practical. You know, Psalm uh, 134, I think. You're not coming up now, are you, PJ? I tell you what, I'm going to tell you when to come up, PJ. We give this man a big hand. Hey. Yeah. This is part of the point I'm going to make. <laughs> Let me get to it, all right? Let me get to it. In the Psalms, it says, Clap your hands, all you people. Put your hands up if you are all people. Put your hands up if you know how to clap. Are you sure? I was preaching in a Pentecostal church a couple of years back. And I was two minutes into my message. And I'd had three standing ovations. And I had to stop them. I said, look, I'm a Baptist pastor. To get people to clap in a Baptist church, Jesus has got to walk in in bodily form. If you keep going like this, we're going to be here till next Sunday. Baptists aren't that good at clapping. But we We clap. You know, when, when we go to a concert, we clap at the amazing talent that's on stage that's just blessed us. When we go to a school awards night, we clap at participation, even when there's no amazing talent coming off the stage. You know, oh, come on, you know it's true. You know it's true. It's good to clap participation. We even go to movies sometimes that really move us and we clap the talent on the screen even though they're not in the room. You know, it's, it's, it's normal to clap in appreciation. Now the point I was going to make is when we clap in worship, we're not clapping the amazing PJs that are on stage who graciously do a walk of shame back to his seat when, when they need to. <laughs> Twice that's happened. <laughs> oh, you're never going to live that down. <laughs> We're not clapping the amazing talent on stage. We're clapping our amazing king. Let me, let me just check if us Baptists know how, how to clap. You know, Jesus Christ, the perfect son of God, left the throne room of heaven and became man. And he became just like us. He, he, he was crucified on a cross. A death that you and I deserved, but he took for us. On that cross, our sins were paid for. Our sins were put to death. And his dead body was laid in a tomb. But on the third day, when the women went with myrrh and other spices to anoint his dead body, it was not there. On that third morning, the angels said, Why are you looking for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. You see, Jesus is a risen king. Death could not hold down King Jesus. And so the Father exalted him to the highest place, the name above every other name, because he went through death and came out the other side. He is King of kings and Lord of lords, and he is worthy of all glory and honour and praise. I was just checking. We, we do know how to clap. And it's one of the things God tells us to do to express our worship of the King. Secondly, singing says, Come, Psalm 95, come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Do you know all cultures throughout all ages have sung for joy? 
This is normal. You know, whether they're pagans or Christians, people in all cultures have sung for joy. It's still true in our culture today. When someone has a birthday, what do we do? We sing. Not allowed to blow candles out anymore, apparently, but you're still allowed to sing, you know, for joy when we gather together, you know, at an important moment in our national history. What do we do? We sing. Australians all let us rejoice. We sing for joy. You know, when the Australian cricket team wins the ashes, you know, great moment in history. What happens? These grown men, these gods of sport, stand on a table in the dressing room and sing under the Southern Cross, I stand. I never played for Australia. The best I got was second division rugby, you know, in Sydney. And when we would win, when we would beat up a bunch of other buffheads from another part, of town and we would put a pigskin over a white line more than they did. We beat them up more than they beat us up. We would stand in a, in a, a bloody and muddy circle together and we would sing at the top of our voices, bless them all, bless them all. It started very biblically but it went downhill from there. We won't sit here and be disgraced as back to the valley and drink with our mates. Something about uh, it's not sitting here any longer but we're going back to the valley and uh, you won't get protection from this section and the schooners they sell here are small. The words were ridiculous and I can't sing all of them because I would get kicked out of the Baptist Union. But when we sang, we would jump up and down. We would bash on the wall. People in the next postcode heard that we had won a victory. That was Saturday afternoon. And then Sunday morning, I'd go to church in a room like this and we'd sing, He is Lord, He is Lord, He is risen from the dead, Woohoo! He is Lord. I'm thinking, this doesn't make sense on Saturday night. I'm jumping up and down, you know, with a bunch of buffets and we're singing because we just won a victory that everyone will have forgotten about by the next morning. And the next morning, we're singing about an eternal victory that Jesus has won for us that'll never be taken away from us, never be forgotten for all of history. People were called to sing songs of victory. I love just walking in this morning off the streets in the city and just hearing the worship coming out of this space. It's a song of victory. It's a declaration over this city that there is a king and he's alive and he'll never die. And you can know his joy for all of eternity. We're called to clap. We're called to sing. You'll notice in Psalm 95 and you'll notice in many, many psalms, it says, come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout. There's also shouting. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. You see, there's a shout of victory. There's a shout when we won the victory. But the thing I want us to point us to this morning is there's also a shout of faith. Let me just read Isaiah uh, chapter um, 54. It says, sing, barren woman, you who never bore a child. Burst into song. Shout for joy. You who were never in labour. You see, there's a shout of faith. You know, there's a, there's a shout. The woman who's never been in labour. Now, my memories of labour was there was some shouting during labour. 
You know, actually the woman, when Jess was born, the woman next to us, just a curtain in between, she was shouting so loud she spat on the nurse and there had to be a, uh, an inquir- a health inquiry. She was so embarrassed the next day. We could hear the whole thing through the, uh, you know, through, the, through the curtain. I've heard some shouting in labour. You know, but what, what uh, the Scripture's telling us here is that we are to shout before we get delivered. There's a shout of faith in victory, but there's also a shout where we're waiting for the victory. Now, I remember it. I remember the shout of faith for this community. I remember time and time again, Sirks would lead us in prayer. He'd, he'd read from Jeremiah 29, you know, about living in the city and blessing the city, make homes in the city, pray for the peace and the prosperity of the city. I haven't forgotten. You know, time and time again, we'd stand. And this is before we had a building. In fact, this is before it was even approved to plant a city campus. I got in a bit of trouble from the Board of Elders because I kind of jumped the gun a little bit. But we, we, we had a shout of faith. We stood together and we shouted out in faith that God was going to do something great in this city. And he has. God is doing something great. There's a shout of faith when we're waiting to be delivered that unlocks, brings breakthrough from heaven. We're called to clap. We're called to sing. We're called to shout. And we're called to lift our hands. Psalm 134 verse 2. It says, lift your hands in the sanctuary. You know, my little reminder about the power of this is having, again, uh, this uh, two-year-old granddaughter. And uh, when I walk through the door, she just puts her arms up. She lifts her hands and she runs to dump her and waits for me to pick her up. And it brings me great joy. I might wear tough cowboy boots, but it breaks my heart. I love it. I just brace her in my arms. I actually think it's the same way our Father in heaven feels when we come before him with our hands lifted in worship. He loves it. And he was saying, I'm all yours. I'm lifting my hand, I'm coming to you, I'm embracing you, I want to be embraced by you. He he actually loves it. Now some of us here come from a background of no hands lifted in worship and I worry about you. I'm worried that someone will wander in off the street one day and go stick them up and you'll get shot. (laughs) That was much funnier in my head than... The reaction I just got there. I was laughing in my office about that. You know, there's, there's a very subtle lifting of hands where you just carry the TV. You know, there's uh, one hand on the wallet and one hand in the air. Oh, I find this one pretty cool. I, I do this one a bit. And then there's just throwing caution to the wind. No care about who you knock out with your arms. Just full air traffic controller. Now, I'm not here to judge anybody by the way that you lift your hands. I'm not actually here to judge anybody by how expressive you are in worship. I just think our Father in heaven loves it. The question I would ask us is... 
What would you do if the Queen passed by? How would you react if the Queen passed by on the street this morning? This is a photo from 1975. The Queen passing by one of the streets in Sydney as the Sydney Opera House was opened, 1975. The person circled there is my grandfather. I was only three years old. But he was a staunch monarchist. He loved the royal family. That was one of his favourite photos. He showed it to me nearly to the day he died. He talked about just, and you can see the joy on his face and the people around. He says it was deafening, the cheering. He couldn't remember a time where he'd heard such deafening cheering and clapping and noise other than when he came back from World War II. He says it was in between those two times, 45 and 75, he'd never heard, you know, so much noise and joy. People lined the streets for kilometres. Why? Because the Queen was passing by. It was an incredible moment. You know, as as your kids, you know, they won't go to school tomorrow, but when they go to school after the holidays... It would be pretty strange to go out and line the street and wave flags and shout for for joy as they go past in the bus. But if the Queen was on the street, it's normal. No one would raise an eyebrow. My encouragement for us today is that when we gather in this place, the King is in the room. King Jesus is in the room. He habits the praises of his people. King Jesus is in the room. This is a place to express our worship, to be free in worship. Because as we're free in in worship, I, I believe there is a supernatural breakthrough that happens and we get free to live lives of worship. We're called to clap, we're called to sing, we're called to shout, we're called to lift our hands and just like in this story, and I'm not going to talk about dancing because I really don't want to dance, but the Bible does talk about that. But in this story, there's bowing down. They came into the room and they bowed down. To bow down in worship is to surrender completely. To actually say, you're my king. I'm giving up my power and my authority. And in this story, we see that fear and pride got in the way for Herod. He was not going to give up his throne. He was not going to give up his authority. He was not going to, you know, give up, you know, his way of life. And so he determined to uh, try and wipe Jesus out. Now, none of us here in this room are going to do that, but pride and fear can actually be things that stop us expressing worship to God and stop us living lives of fully surrendered worship to King Jesus. You know, we have a king. He's not like any other king. He's worthy of all glory and honour and praise. He's worthy of worship just because of the gift that he is to us. But just lastly, there there is a... uh, There is a principle in this story that I want to make too much of, but I've seen it to be true in my own life. When the wise men get to Jerusalem, they needed somebody else to explain the Bible to them. But after they went in and worshipped the king, God spoke to them directly. God spoke to them just like he'd spoken to Daniel centuries ago in dreams. 
I've seen this to be true in my life. I've walked into to, to rooms like this and I'm perplexed about a decision. And I begin to lift up Jesus in worship and he gives me understanding and wisdom that I know has not come from my mind. Sometimes I'll walk into a room like this and, and there's fear and I'm feeling you know, overwhelmed uh, about something that's coming up. And I'll begin to worship and, and lift you know, my hands to Jesus and give him all glory and honour and praise. And I remember, you know, what does that really matter when Jesus is on the throne? And fear just begins to drop off me. Anxiety begins to, to slip away. Sometimes I'll walk into a room like this. and I know this wouldn't be true for any of you because you're all lovely and I'm not always lovely. But sometimes I walk into a room like this and my heart is full of anger and bitterness and unforgiveness towards somebody who has hurt me or ripped me off during the week. And as I begin to worship the King who did not think that equality with God was something to be held on to, but actually humbled himself and became human and obedient to death on a cross to forgive my sins. I just can't hold on to anger and bitterness and unforgiveness any longer. And sometimes, you know, I walk in here, you know, just full of fear about the future about what might happen. hasn't even happened yet, but what might happen. And as I begin to worship in spirit and in truth, the truth sets me free. You see, the wise man, and you can come up now, PJ, give him a big hand as he comes up. You know, I just believe there's a new freedom. That God wants to give us in worship. I'm going to get the whole team to come up. Actually, you know, we've we've been going through a pretty rough time in uh, global history, and it's easy to think that no one else has gone through something like this. But you've only got to read a few history books and see we're not the first people to walk through a pretty tough time. And if you go back, why don't we stand together this morning? As you go back to the first century church. There was despotic rulers that were far more evil than even what we're seeing today. There was mayhem for businesses, for those who follow Jesus, are getting ripped off. There was pain and hurt for families that were getting driven out of homes unjustly and unfairly. And the early church was starting to wonder, has Jesus still got any power? Is, is Jesus really a king? You know, are we following a dead martyr? And somewhere around the year 90, you know, King Jesus gives his best mate John just a little glimpse into heaven, help him understand what's actually going on. And he gets pictures of all sorts of devastation on the earth. He also gets a picture of a lamb, a sacrificial lamb upon a throne. And all of heaven is bowed down to this lamb. It says, Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels 
numbering thousands upon thousands and ten times, thousand times ten thousand. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders in a loud voice they were saying, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honour and glory and praise. And then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and even under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying to Him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honour and glory and power not just for now but forever and ever and the four living creatures all said Amen and all of the elders and all of the powers that be fell down and they worshipped the King let's do that this morning Let's join with all of heaven and declare, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Let's give Him all glory and honour and praise that is due His name. Jesus is the King. He's not like any other King. He's King over this church. He's King over this city. He's King over our nation. He's maker of heaven and earth. He's King over your life. Come on, let's lift him up in worship. We hope you've been blessed by this message. If we can pray for you or you would like to take a further step in your relationship with Jesus, we would love to connect with you. Please head to gatewaybaptist.com.au and click on Get Connected to let us know.